Welcome to Detour to Neverland, your guide to living your best Disney life through your hobby or business. Here's your hosts, Brendan and Catherine. Welcome back to Detour to Neverland. Today is episode number 185. We thank you for joining us, and this is a very exciting week. Of course, Disney Springs opens later this week in a phased reopening, and maybe we are getting a glimpse as to what life is going to look like on the other side of this. We would be honored if we continue to be a part of your daily routine as life returns back to normal, and we are committed to continuing to bring you relevant and helpful content along the way. We hope that our interview today accomplishes that as well. Actually, I know that it will accomplish that as well is with Josh from Triple P Vlogs. And Josh embraces so many unknown challenges and mediums in content creation. And you'll hear that in the episode that he jumps all into things like streaming and podcasting and vlogging and everything under the sun dabbling in it and mastering it and trying to further develop his creative skills while also giving back to the community as he learns those things along the way. So we hope you enjoy this interview with Josh. As always, be sure you connect over with him on his account, Triple P Vlogs. Of course, the links will be down in our show notes. Without further ado, we'll turn it over to Josh as he is going to introduce himself and tell us one random fact that we may not know about him from social media. Hmm. Well... Of course, I'm Josh from Triple P. <laughs> but uh, one random fact, I, you know, I guess it would be that my wife and I have known each other since we were five. We grew up in church together um, and her dad was my lifelong pastor. So that's probably that's an interesting fact, I guess. Um, and neither one of us went to Disney as kids. We both were adult Disney fans. Ooh, there's a lot to dive in there. We're going to get to the Disney story in a second, but man, how intimidating is that to start dating the preacher's daughter? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, it was interesting. And I, you know, not that I was a bad kid or anything, but I didn't have the best, uh, track record. I was always the, you know, kind of crazy, uh, a lot of energy. And so it's a bit interesting how we, how we ended up together. And then it's just been in a whirlwind since. So that's fun. So how old were you when you actually like connected and started dating? Um, probably mm, 17. And then, uh, we got married. Um, a month out of high school, a month out of my high school. She's a year older than me. Exactly. And then a month later after that, I left for a year for the army. So, um, it was, it was interesting to say the least. Well, sounds like a whirlwind. Um, <laughs> so we definitely have to mention that you are in the Nashville area as well, along with yes. us for the time being. Right, yeah. <laughs> so we are going to miss Nashville hot chicken more than anything. And we're also each on like the same side of Nashville. So similar suburbs. So we are very close to each other, but we've never seen each other in Nashville, but we have met once in the parks. So that's, that's always true. fun. Well, good deal. So let's lay that groundwork. Tell us about your Disney story. You mentioned that it happened in adulthood. So how did it start and how has it grown and evolved over time? Well, I think it's fair to mention that 
as a child, I love Disney. Of course, everyone does. I had the cardboard slip cases of the sing along songs. And of course, all the puffy VHS movies. And um, I remember having a stuffed figment and things like that as a kid. I just, my mom and me, we never got down to Disney. So I was able to visit once when I was 16. Um, a friend of mine moved down to go to college at Full Sail University. And kind of our reward for helping him move was to go spend a few days at Disney. And of course, then my only theme park that I had really gone to was Cedar Point, which is, you know, leaps and bounds more thrilling than Walt Disney World. You know, it's got record breaking (laughs) coasters and stuff. And so I think I had that in my mind. And so I really didn't enjoy my first time at Disney until we went back, me and my wife, Britt, and experienced it with our child, Adeline. And that's when the spark really kind of happened. And I was able to see the true magic of Disney through a child's eyes. And then just what really made it special, what what made it more than a you know a theme park, but an actual place that magic happens. That is kind of funny that if you've never been to Disney before, you probably do have like this built up, you know, all these rides and everything is kind of thrilling. And I could definitely see that it would be somewhat of a disappointment until you go back. Was that when you went together, was that your wife's first trip down or had she gone before that? That was her first. That was her first trip. Yeah, wow. she she had never gone as a child um, and she didn't go when I was 16. It was just me and some friends. Uh, so when we went together, that was her first trip ever to Disney. And I remember she cried on Main Street USA when she saw the castle. Well, so it, was, of course. It, was, it was a really special. It was a special trip because it was our first trip with my daughter and then it was her first trip. And it was something that she had never gotten the opportunity to do. So and then ever since we've gone many, many, many times. <laughs> Well, it's so interesting because I, th- I feel like you could do an entire podcast on like the Disney click moment for people just talking oh, about sure. like, when did it make sense to you that this is so much bigger than the attractions and the food and everything else that there is such an emotional attachment to it. So I, I'm almost jealous of people that it happened for an adulthood because I've kind of, I don't know, I can't pinpoint when it happened for me. Can you, Catherine? I don't think I can. I, we joke in my family that me and my sister were brainwashed (laughs) to just love (laughs) Disney from birth. So no, I don't, I don't have like a a clear moment either. Mm -hmm. We'll have to explore that. So (laughs) Josh, tell us about the inception of triple P. So what conversations took place to get it off the ground and what were, you know, those first initial steps that you took to start getting the ball rolling? Well, so we went on that first trip and I kind of was experiencing, you know, it was, it was a lot to to take in. And I was like, you know, I need a way to document, you know, this and this magic and capture it and bottle it up so that I can revisit it at a later date. So I can show it to my daughter, just like when I was a kid and probably when you guys were too, when, you know, your parents had VHS tapes of family vacations. And of course, with technology now, you know, there's so much you can do with that. And of course I watched vlogs, you know, Tim Tracker, Michael K, all the other, you know, bigger vloggers out there. And I was like, you know, I think I can do that. And Britt will tell you that 
you know, it's kind of bizarre that we went this route because I'm kind of introverted here at home. But when I'm in Disney, I'm the complete opposite. And she thinks it's the most weird thing ever. But um, we just sat around and tried to figure out a way to create it. And it all started with Instagram and trying to snap pictures. And then I love photography. And that's kind of how we met some other friends, mutual friends that you guys have with us, um, Jeff and Sarah from Adults and Disney. And we were just sharing photography there. And then it evolved into vlogging and it's just grown. And it's been something extremely fun. And um, we went with Practically Perfect Park Hobbing because Britt loves Mary Poppins. And it's, it's just, you know, it's all rooted in fun. Mm-hmm. I think that's fun that you mentioned, you know, the start was just from wanting to document everything for your daughter, because the first thing, as you were saying it, I thought it too, that, you know, that's exactly what our parents would have done. They just didn't have this kind of platform. So to be able to kind of go back and track it and to have that as your origin, I do think that's pretty unique because, you know, your reason for starting it wasn't necessarily for other people. It was just for, you know, yourself and your family and your daughter. Oh, for sure. So you, you decided that you were going to start documenting it. And you said you started Instagram, the first video. Do you remember what that was? Was that something you made at home or was it in the park? <laughs> was it a vlog style or kind yeah, of? Yeah, it, it, it was, it was here at home. And, you know, here I am thinking, you know, how can I be like, you know, channel my inner Steven Spielberg and figure this out. And of course it was the first one. So I was like, it's gotta be good. And now looking back at it now, I'm like, Oh, that was so bad. And I forget what exactly we did, but I remember the car was involved and I, Oh, I, I went and picked Brit up at work and I was like, Hey, you know, if we're going to start this thing, we're going to, we're going to start vlogging. And that was the whole spiel. And it was, it was awful at the time. I thought, Oh, this is, this isn't bad, but you know, as bad as it was, it's what got us off the ground and we would have never started if I would have never done that. Yeah. I mean, and it's a conversation we have all the time here, but if you don't take that first step, then you can't take the hundredth step. And that leads straight into the next question that I wanted to chat about is that something we really appreciate about you guys is how transparent you are about channel updates or modifications, really just your willingness to try new things, whether it be a new series or a new stream or a new discussion that you haven't had previously. I think you really do a great job of explaining to the audience, like what your mindset is, like, what are you looking for out of this? And what's the reasoning behind it? So can you walk us through kind of that journey of all the different things that you've tried and, and dabbled in and why you feel it's important to share those updates along the way. Absolutely. Um, first and foremost, I think the people that listen to our blog, podcast, whatever it is, whatever we're involved in, that we have an audience or community that follows us there. We treat them like they're friends or family or, you know, however you want to say it. And it's important to be transparent and honest with them because it's them that's giving their time to us, whether it be on a live stream or whatever. And so honesty is the best medicine. And it's kind of like I use the sheep analogy, not that my audience is a sheep, but it's the best way I can use to explain it. But sometimes you have to, you know, lead sheep to get into, you know, a certain pasture or pen or, or what have you. And 
by leading that and, you know, showing them there's no sticker shock. There's no, you know, what happened and confusion, because I feel like when you confuse your audience, then they're lost and then they just assume quit and move on to something else. And so through the progression of our channel, whether it be we've, we've gone through one rebrand where we kind of stuck to our name, but changed it a little bit, which is what the community already called us. We went from practically perfect park hopping to triple P and we've done live streams and different series and, you know, all those things. But along the way, we've explained to our audience, Hey, we're doing this change because X, Y, Z. It was never, we're doing this change because we want to. There's always a reason behind change. And we always wanted to present that as good change to our audience so they can move along with this. So they're seeing the progression through their eyes like, hey, you know, we're part of something that's growing. That's awesome. Let's keep growing rather than, oh, why did something happen? Why, why are we changing things? Are you guys OK? We never want to create panic. And so that's why we always try to be super transparent and growth is good. and it's a smart piece of marketing to present growth as positive instead of negative. Yeah. Well, I completely agree. And I think it's a, it's a daunting task or it's a realization that a lot of creators struggle to get to. And it's something we've struggled with as well, that, you know, you're from day one, when you start to year one or even month one, whatever time frame you want to put on it, things are going to change drastically. And I think so many people are get intimidated or scared to think like, oh, well, this isn't who we are or we can't do this. It's not in our you know core competencies or whatever it might be. And you can make all these excuses, but I think it's really refreshing to find creators who say, Hey, we're going to try this for a while and maybe it won't work. And then we're going to try this. And, and I hope you guys can follow along with us every step of the way until we really figure out exactly what this is going to be. And then we'll all grow together and, and keep making tweaks and everything along with it. And then the fear comes in of, Oh, well, should I delete my old stuff? And I've, I've went through that of thinking maybe I should delete our old episodes. <laughs> like I've never done it and I never will. But I feel like that's such a hard mental game to play to know that it's such a process and your content is always going to be evolving as your interests change. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's interesting looking back because you know, your hardest critic is yourself. So looking back at some old vlogs or, you know, podcasts, whatever it is, it's, it's definitely a hard decision to, should I remove this or hide it? You know, it's, but Hey, that those, those are the steps that got you where you are. Like we said earlier. Mm -hmm. So something that you've started doing a lot that we've appreciated is you have embraced streaming. And to us, that is one of the most intimidating things in the world. Um, we've looked into doing it. Every time we talk about it, we always come up with an excuse why we should not do it. But what's been your experience and what kind of advice do you have for someone like us who's looking to get into it? Well, I think streaming is fantastic and there's no better time to start streaming than now because it allows you to put yourself in front of your audience and beyond streaming, YouTube has opened up 
memberships for us. And so we've also started doing Zoom calls and it, it really just adds another level of transparency going back to transparency. And, you know, it shows that you're real. First and foremost, it's not produced. There's mistakes made. You can laugh with your audience. You know, they, they see more authenticity, which I think is important when you're a creator because when you're creating, it's easy to put on a front. It's easy to become a character. And when I, when I think you show authenticity and transparency is when you win because the people that watch you want to relate to you. And so that's what live streaming, you know, it gives you that opportunity and it allows them to interact with you um, beyond a comment or something like that. They can actually ask questions, laugh along with you, you know, ask you, Hey, did you watch, you know, last episode of the Mandalorian or whatever? And it just makes them get to know you a little bit more. I feel like the future is in streaming and I feel like everybody knows it and admits it, but it's just such a task to get there and to, and to be able to just confidently do it. And I would assume you would say that you just have to do it and confidence comes along with it as you go. Yeah. And I think it's, I think it's the same as, you know, starting, you know, whatever platform you're going to start, whether it be podcasting or blog, you know, you just have to get out there and do it. I will say that I don't think it will replace, uh, you know, your standard vlog or, or podcast or anything like that. Just because there's still something to be said about, you know, watching someone's vlog, people still watch them, they still enjoy them. And I think to be a, a great creator, you need to be able to do both. And it, you know, it, it keeps you honed, it keeps you sharp. And you don't want to lose that creative edge to be able to go in and record something and edit it and produce it. Where as live stream, you can just throw it up, anybody can do that. Um, of course, there's the the factor of you have to get up and do it. But you know, it's easy to throw up a live stream. It's not easy to sit down and create and produce something. So I think there's something to be said for being able to do both. I think that that's very important. Mm -hmm. I think that's fair. And it makes a lot of sense. So something else that you have going on are a lot of these really cool weekly and biweekly series that you're doing on the channel, like the toolbox and the magical Monday mayhem. So what is kind of the inspiration and the idea behind that type of content? Uh, well, e each one is, you know, it's got its own kind of niche, right? So uh, Magical Monday Mayhem, for instance, when it was created was to be just kind of a roundtable chat about what's new in the Disney community, you know, through news or what's coming on Disney+. Plus. Of course, right now, that's not really active. So it's become more of a Q&A just discussion based. We'll talk about whatever's new, but then it just becomes more of a conversation. Whereas toolbox is me bringing my professional expertise and friends and tips to the creator community, hoping to help ignite more creativity through other creators and kind of, you know, feed the fact that a high tide raises all ships and help whoever I can help in that aspect by trade, I'm a graphic designer. That's what I do for a living. And I've made friends in photography, videography, and all these different trades that are creative trades that all feed into what uh, being a creator is. And so trying to dip into that pool and share it, share the love. And 
that's really, you know, those two specifically. And then I've got coffee and contemplation that I do every week uh, with my partner channel, the Lynn project. And we just sit around and drink coffee and hang out. And it's, it's supposed to kind of channel what Saturday mornings used to be. And it seems like our audience really just appreciates being able to just talk about whatever, which seems kind of like a lazy way to throw up a, you know, a stream, but it really works. And we just sit around and laugh and have a good time. And that's probably been the most consistent of all of the streaming and series that I've done is that one. And I think it's because again, people like to get to know you. They like to sit down and hang out. And that's essentially what that is. I think all of those definitely show a different side of, you You know, as you're explaining all of these things, what stands out to me is that they are all so different. But once you kind of put them all together, they show, you know, all of these different talents that you have and all these different things that you can offer. Was that kind of part of you mentioned earlier, like your rebranding, like trying to just branch out of just Disney everything? Yeah, I think. You know, I think that being in the, you know, the phase of all of us kind of sitting at home and that's really pushed me creatively. Like some people, it may have kind of halted their creativity. They're not able to create. For me, it made me realize that I don't need to have all my irons in one fire. And so that's why we went down from practically perfect park hopping, which was so Disney centric to triple P, which can kind of be broad, but people that know us knows what that stands for. And that's why we've kind of, if you scroll through our channel, we've got toolbox, coughing, contemplation, magical mind and mayhem, but we've also got Lego vlogs that I've put up because that's something I enjoy doing in my pastime that I think is, you know, it's not age specific. A lot of people make it, you know, for kids or whatever, but there's a lot of pros that go with that. And so I've included that and I'm trying to include things that aren't too crazy different, but are all a little different. Does that make sense? It does. It does make sense. And I think it collectively comes together and shares that common message that really is just you and Brit and and what your interests are. And, and I think the more that you can lead back to who you are at the core and what your interests are, I think that's what people can connect to. I want to go off script a little bit because <laughs> You mentioned Lego and it's something that I, I kind of came to that same realization as you lately is that Lego is not just for kids, that there are, you know, very, very complex builds that you can do. And then you recently started a podcast on the topic as well. So can you just tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So a friend of mine, uh, me and him, we both like Lego and there's this whole thing about adults that like Lego. There's even like a name for it and Lego corporate even follows the hashtag AFOL, which stands for adult fan of Lego. And we both built. And so we decided that, Hey, you know, we don't really see a whole lot of podcasts about Lego. And I went searching for one, couldn't find one. So we decided to jump into it and create one where we're just kind of chatting about Lego, what sets we're building, what's coming out, um, dream sets, sets that we wish they would make. And it gave me an outlet for all these sets that I build because it's something that I really enjoy doing on a regular basis. It helps me be creative. Um, it's therapeutic. And we started this podcast, which by the time this airs, we'll have three done. And it's just a lot of fun. 
and Lego is a lot of fun. And it's something that allows me to have, again, something in common with my daughter. She loves to see these giant sets like the Lego Millennium Falcon. Uh, she loves to see those. They're, you know, mesmerizing to her. It's bigger than life. And it's just been uh, another outlet for me. I love creative things. So Lego definitely feeds that. For sure. Catherine, I want to buy some more Lego sets. I know that's <laughs> this is the downside to this conversation is I can just see like Brendan's wheels turning as you say all this. He's like, yeah, I'm creative. I could do that. Uh, Boba Fett's helmet. Need I say more? Oh, my goodness. Um, I built that one. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've seen it. Um, so to, to round out this conversation, you are so multifaceted and have so many things going on and, and there's so much passion behind it. And I think that's what's so, what draws people to you is that you are so passionate and willingness to serve others and, and just share your life and your interests. But if you're looking outside for guidance, do you have one or a couple go-to resources that you assist, that assist you in building, whether it's a website, a podcast, a book, a blog, a person, whatever it might be? Um, it varies. It depends on, you know, what I'm trying to accomplish with, you know, whatever it is that I'm questioning or need help with. Um, I'm not afraid to ask for, uh, criticism, constructive criticism. I think that that's important as a creator. You have to be able to take that and not, not everyone understands that. And I think, and I try to give grace where, you know, I work in a creative field, so you have to you have to be able to do that or you're not going to be able to succeed. So I'm not afraid to ask for that. That's one thing that I, I do. And I typically ask people that I trust and trust their opinions. Um, the guy that I do the podcast with is a local videographer. He works with some clients that I have and um, he's very good at what he does. And so I've asked him to watch through vlogs and, you know, critique them hard and tell me what I can do better. Um, but if I'm trying to brainstorm, you know, maybe it's like a top seven uh, vlog or something. It's no weird thing to turn on a podcast such as you guys. I've listened to your podcast quite a bit. I'm Lou Mangiello. Um, and just try to generate some ideas off of that. Um, my SEA series about the Society of Explorers and Adventurers, that's something that I always had a passion about. But once I heard Lou Mangiello's podcast about it, I was like, I think I can, I think I can do that. And it's really what, what those do for me. It's like, you know, that voice in the back of my head, like, Hey, if he can do it, you can do it. But go ahead. I was just going to say, uh, we need to document this moment forever. We were just mentioning the same sentence as Lumangelo. So (laughs) rest in peace now. (laughs) Um, you know, he, he's great. And every now and then I don't listen to him as religiously as I'd probably like, because I'm not in the car very often because I I work from home being self-employed, but I do, I do enjoy his podcast and I get a lot out of it, but you know, I've also read business books, um, you know, Napoleon Hill, Gary Vaynerchuk, those kind of guys. And, you know, I get, I get nuggets from any little thing. And I think that's important as a creator is you have to learn to pull from everywhere. If you're watching, uh, you know, Casey Neistat or listening to a podcast or reading a self-help book, there's nuggets of knowledge in every little place. You just got to be able to find them. 
Reminds me, I wrote down a quote that John Stewart said in some good news episode seven. I don't know <laughs> if you've been watching those, but of oh. all people, John Stewart had like this very profound quote that just hit me. I immediately went and wrote it down. So I think that is, that's very astute for you to point out. Are you not going to share the quote? Well, I'd have to look it up on my phone. So. <laughs> <laughs> you can't just you know, mention this quote and then not tell the world. Okay. <laughs> No, I wrote over it. Oh no. Are you serious? Good thing it's on YouTube. I can go find it. I wrote over it for our Instagram caption today that oh I wrote gosh. in my notes. <laughs> I do that quite often because I use the top note. Anyway, I, I think that's very astute for you to point out that you kind of always have to be receptive to pick up on things that you can carry with you and that will help you along the way. Oh, absolutely. And one thing I said in the first episode of Toolbox is one of my best tools that I can possibly carry is a notebook or the notebook in your phone. Because if you think of something, you need to write it down or you'll forget it. And, you know, we all live lives outside of what we're creating, but that doesn't mean that you can't pick up nuggets of knowledge there as well. So always be taking notes. Just don't write over them. Yeah, preach. I'm a big post-it note fan. I'll put post-it notes on everything. That's great advice. Well, good deal. This has been such a wonderful conversation for the first segment of the show. We've learned so much and I think it's been very insightful for our listeners. If they're looking to tap into more of that creative side and follow their interests and see where it can lead them. So we will take a quick break and hear a message from our partners and then we will be back to play the fast pass round. Today's episode is brought to you by the Photo Reserve. A project I've been working on recently is really trying to up our graphics and promo game and finding a picture to go in the background of these types of assets has been really difficult. I have my photo library, but sometimes you just need a generic picture of let's say the spaceship earth and being able to find that and know that it's a high quality photo. You don't have to edit it. You just throw it in the background, shade it a little bit and it's good to go is so helpful. The photo reserve helps with that process where you can have these photos at your disposal and use them however you'd like. If that might be something that would help you with your project, head to reportthemagic.com forward slash detour. Again, that's report the magic dot com forward slash detour and there you'll get six completely free photos to check out use them on your own and see how it works for you we'll put the link in our bio as well now back to the show good deal so we are back josh we're going to throw out these disney fast pass round questions if you can share the first thing that comes to your mind so our listeners can get to know your disney fandom a little bit better okay let's do it all right this first one is an easy one it's just name the disney parks that you visited Walt Disney World. <laughs> Everything at so, Walt Disney World. <laughs> of those four or six, I guess, if you want to include the water parks, which is your favorite and why? Animal Kingdom, Joe Rody. That says it all. No, I, I love the Imagineering <laughs> of Animal Kingdom. I love the storytelling. I love the detail. Um, Animal Kingdom is by far my favorite place in Walt Disney World. I can relate to that. I best. feel like Animal Kingdom fanatics are like a different, they're a different breed of person. And like you can almost pinpoint them, I feel like. <laughs> you can just like line them all up and pick them out, you think? Yeah, <laughs> I do. We all have to look like that, Joe Rody or that, something. Is uh, that generalization? But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I just feel like you're like, I really enjoy Imagineering. 
it's, it's just, it always goes with it. So what is your Disney bucket list trip? Uh, well, I mean, I think anyone would say they want to visit all the international parks, but specifically I would love to go to Shanghai. Um, just the things that's offered there is just amazing. But that or uh, Alaskan Disney cruise, I think that would be awesome as well. I was convinced that you were going to say Tokyo for I SCA. Know. I'm shocked right now. We had we had you pinpointed. <laughs> I, Tokyo is definitely high up there, but Tokyo will probably happen. Whereas Shanghai, it might it might be a little while before I get to Shanghai. Gotcha. So it's a attainability aspect to it as well. Absolutely. Our next one is what is your favorite Disney resort? Mm, uh, I'm going to have to say Wilderness Lodge. And I actually haven't stayed there. We do own there as DVC members, but I just love the location and the overall feel and imagineering of that resort. It's just really great. Um, of course, with us being in Tennessee, there's a lot of escapism that goes with Wilderness, well, excuse me, Wilderness Lodge. Uh, it feels like Gatlinburg to me, yeah. which I think is pretty incredible that you can be in Florida and then feel like you're transported to Gatlinburg. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, are you Copper Creek or Boulder Ridge? Copper Creek. We are Copper Creek Gazelle and we've never stayed there. I feel like <laughs> Copper Creek has the highest percentage of people who own points there who've never stayed there. Yeah, because you can I, never get availability. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's an issue. Where do you think you use your DVC points at the most? Polynesian. Um, yeah, for sure. The poly because I've stayed there several times. And even this year I had several trips booked for the poly. Of course, those have now been rescheduled and or canceled, but yeah, the poly, uh, I enjoy that as well. That's, that's probably second on my list. Solid. So next one would be if you could only fast pass one ride for the rest of your life, which one would it be? Big Thunder Mountain Railroad. Ooh, I don't know if we've heard Big Thunder before. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I don't think we have actually. So you're willing to miss some of the aspects of the queue? Yeah, I think so. Um, that's a that's an attraction I genuinely love to ride. And it's one that it, for me, it just beats out so many others. Like I love Flight of Passage. I think it's a fantastic attraction. Um, Everest. I mean, I, I really can't name an attraction that I just don't like. Um, especially like a e-ticket type attraction. But Big Thunder is one that I could ride it multiple times a day and just be super, super over the moon happy. And super sore after a few times. It yeah. jerks you around <laughs> so much. <laughs> yep, it's my favorite chiropractor. <laughs> so which ride do you think is due for an exit or a furbishment from the park? Ooh, that is a really great question. Um, I've got probably a grocery list of rides that I think could be refurbed, but the one that's always at the top of the list that Britt and I talk about frequently is Soren. Even though it was pretty recent that it got a refurb, I think that that attraction could be 
so much better if it got the flight of passage love. I think that if they added some of the tricks from flight of passage into Soren, that would be easily the top ride at Epcot and one of the top rides in all of Walt Disney world. Mm, I could get behind that. Mm -hmm. I feel like when people usually say like refurb Soren, it's usually something very basic, but that sounds like high level. Like you've definitely thought about that a lot. (laughs) Oh yeah. And I think that if you took a little bit of star tours aspect and changed it up, like, you know, you don't know which, what you're going to get, which, uh, scenes or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think, I think that's possible. I think they could do that. As long as flight attendant, flight attendant Patrick gets to stay, anything can happen, but that's the best. Part of it. <laughs> <laughs> so next would be what land or area brings you the most inspiration? Um, probably back in animal kingdom in Asia. That's my favorite part of Animal Kingdom. I think that's where I feel the most at, uh, like where I can kind of see where like Joe Rody, for instance, where he was getting some inspirations and it's the most authentic to me. I enjoy just sitting there and uh, absorbing it. Like I've said it a bunch to others and anybody that follows us have, has heard me say it, but when there's extra magic hours at animal kingdom, I always go grab me a coffee and then I go back in Asia and I just sit and just enjoy the, the quiet of animal kingdom there. And I'd say that that's probably, yeah, that's definitely that. That gives me the most inspiration so, for sure. So help paint this picture. Cause I'm with you. I'm there with you. Are we close to Everest? Are we close to Yak and Yeti? Where, where's this bench or this table that we're going to sit at and drink coffee? Oh, yes. So, so you go into Animal Kingdom, you hang a left, you go to Creature Comforts, right? Grab your coffee. You're heading back towards Africa. You take the little back trail back where the smoking section used to be. Not that trail, but the trail that's right by there. And where Mr. Kamal's fries is, there's a seating area right behind it. And there's some tables. It's right in front of the, or right behind technically the tree of life. There's water there and nobody goes over there because everybody that's rope dropping magic hours is going to Pandora or Everest. And that's kind of back in the back in the middle. So there's nobody back there. So there's very few people that you see and it's just quiet. So it's almost near like up the up theater, the bird. Yes. Yep. Mm. And you can find you can have a Kevin sighting there too, which is always nice. <laughs> An early morning Kevin sighting. It's, okay, uh, I'm with it's you. A super peaceful spot. Yeah, we'll have to try that out. Yeah, it's worth it. So the next one is our favorite. Your favorite snack or a go-to snack? Oh, that's so tough. Because <laughs> I don't want to be cliche. Because I feel like everybody says Dole Whip. <laughs> But I'm probably, mm, does it have to be food? No. Okay. So in Animal Kingdom, again, (laughs) banging my Animal Kingdom drum here. There's only, well, there's technically four places you can get it in the entirety of Walt Disney World. But in Animal Kingdom, there's at least three of the four. And there's Thirsty River. 
Nomad Lounge and Tiffin's. And it is a beer that's brewed exclusively only for Walt Disney World. And it's made by Concrete Beach Brewing Company. And it's called Kungaloosh. And it goes back to the Society of Explorers and Adventurers. The actual name for the beer is the, the Spiced Excursion Ale, which it's the initials is SEA, just like the Society of Explorers and Adventurers. And that would probably be my number one go-to snack, if you could call it that, at Walt Disney World, because that's the only place you can get it. You can't get it anywhere else. Well, sounds like you finish your coffee, then you walk <laughs> over next to Thirsty River Bar, you you grab that, and then you wash it down with, a, with an SEA beer. I mean, it sounds well, like the perfect Animal Kingdom today. There's got to be a ride on Everest in between there, though. <laughs> Even better. Yeah. Yeah. You so can't you just finish your like coffee, you ride Everest. Yeah. I'm in. Sign me up. <laughs> so uh, sticking with food, your favorite table service and favorite quick service restaurants. Does it have to be in a park? No. California Grill is by far my favorite table service restaurant. I love it there. Um, the views, of course, fireworks. They've got an incredible brunch. Just their staff is awesome. I've had the pleasure of getting to know some of the staff there. And their menu, I love that it slightly changes and they've got favorites on there. Um, that's probably my favorite table service. Favorite quick service is Satuli Canteen. It's awesome. I think that the food quality is table service quality. It's it's super unique, super flavorful, um, and just is just a really great option as far as, you know, Disney quick service goes. It's not chicken nuggets or, you know, park pizza. You had me at brunch for California <laughs> grill. We've actually never been. We, we go back and forth with each other on what's our first meal going to be once we're local slash once Disney actually opens back up. And that might've just moved up the list a little. Yeah. And, you know, if the resorts open first, it might be open before the uh, the parks are. So even better, even better. So these next couple questions are all of your Disney favorites. So the first one is your favorite Disney movie. Oh, <laughs> I have to say Robin Hood. Mm. Robin Hood is super nostalgic for me. So Catherine's sister is staying with us right now and she just turned on all she wanted to watch was the first <laughs> score of Robin Hood. And I didn't realize how amazing the movie starts. Uh-huh. Oh yeah. It's, it's, it's fantastic. And you know, I heard that there's a potential for a CG Robin Hood directed Disney plus. So we'll see if that happens. I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah, I was about to say, I don't, I don't know if I'm on board with that or not. It's hard but, to, with all of them, like which ones to get on board for. Because it's almost to the point where it's like, can you get on board with any of them anymore? Right. Well, I mean, it's hard. Kind of like, what's your favorite Disney movie? <laughs> yeah. That's a tough question. Mm, a, live, a CGI Robin Hood. That would be very interesting. Yeah. I guess think Zootopia. But lots of green and arrows. I just feel like Robin Hood and it's outside of Disney has been done so many times. 
It's almost like Peter Pan that all of these different motion picture companies have taken a stab at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And nothing is as good as the original animated. Nothing. So nothing against Russell Crowe. But, <laughs> um, next would be your favorite Disney quote. It can either be from Walt himself or from any of the movies. Mm. happiness is a state of mind. It's just a matter of the way you look at things or something like that. I know I probably didn't quote it direct, um, but it's actually a quote that I have printed and in my living room where I can see it every day. Um, I think that that's very important, especially in the world we live in that, you know, it's up to, it's up to you to be happy. It's a state of mind. Yeah. I love that. So the last last one is your favorite Disney parks memory. Uh, That's going to have to be going in club 33 for the first time. That's going to have to be my favorite Disney parks memory because that was something I didn't expect. And um, as somebody who loves Imagineering, it really blew my mind that I was able to experience that. So how many details can you share? Can you tell us which park it was? <laughs> I have been in um, all the th- the three main ones, not including the new Animal Kingdom one. I have not been in that one, but I've been in Hollywood Studios, um, Epcot and Magic Kingdom. Mm-hmm. Which one is your favorite? Captain's Quarters. <laughs> Captain's Quarters. Is, oh, that's the Magic Kingdom one. That's my favorite. Hmm. By far, that one's that one's definitely my favorite. Well, that is a fun memory. Yeah. Without a doubt. You're going to have a lot yeah, of people was, like messaging you after this, like, hey, man. <laughs> <laughs> I was extremely lucky to have been able to to go and um, I'm super grateful to the friend of mine that allowed me to go. But uh, yeah, that, that's probably my favorite. And that's just because it's it was so high up on my bucket list that I didn't even think that it would ever happen. But. That just goes to show you, you never know. For sure. So very last question for you, Josh, is if you have one piece of parting guidance that you can give to someone who's looking to jump into this community as a creator, what would you tell that person? Be yourself and never stop creating. It's okay to take a break, but don't stop creating. Um, Goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning of this. Authenticity is important. Be yourself. Be honest. Don't try to be someone you're not because eventually that all comes out. And if you just stick to positivity and authenticity, there's never anything to hide. You can just, you know, have fun. That's what it's all about at the end of the day. Anyways, especially at Disney's just having fun. Love it. I mean, it's something that is so important. I think is longevity and never giving up and keep pushing forward and and you'll get to where you want to be. So I think that is wonderful advice for anybody getting started or if you're in the middle of it to keep creating and keep pushing forward. So one last thing, if you can remind our listeners where they can connect with you online. Absolutely. We are on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Um, Twitter is triple P tweets and the other two are triple P triple P vlogs. And we're on YouTube as triple P as well. We're a little umbrella. Blue and red. And since we talked about it earlier, what's your Lego podcast? 
Oh, absolutely. It is the Bricked Podcast. And we are available on all of the major platforms except Apple because they take forever. But sooner, <laughs> soon enough, we'll be on Apple. Maybe by the time this comes out. We've been there. <laughs> they drag their feet. Well, awesome. We will put the links to all of those down in our show notes below so you can connect over with Josh and Britt. So thank you so much for joining us. We had such a blast chatting with you today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I had a blast as well. Thank you for listening to Detour to Neverland. Subscribe to the show and leave a review to help more people find us. Follow us on Instagram at Detour to Neverland underscore podcast to see our pictures from the parks. See you real soon.